What's up, everyone? This is Go Long with Dunn and Modus at Go Long, GoLongTD.com, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, wherever you're catching the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. We are uh, fueled by fatty beer most days. This day I have a water gym. Uh, doesn't doesn't feel right to just be slugging IPAs and uh, seasonal beverages. It's going to be a different tone, right? I mean, this is a different tenor for this for this podcast than pretty much everyone we've ever had because we really cannot look at football the same again. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think January the second at eight forty four p.m. Uh, when Demar Hamlin collapsed. Didn't get back up. We didn't get that thumbs up. The the wave, man. We we can really kind of re- relive it in those terms as well. I mean, I was there in Cincinnati at Paycor Stadium, and it was a, a sight, a mortifying sight that none of us will ever forget. But um, we were texting throughout, and I think that's the only natural reaction that anybody have is just kind of reaching out to friends, loved ones. Maybe taking uh, Demar's advice in our conversation back in July of 2021, and ended every conversation with "I love you." You know, that's that's something that he got into the habit of because more than half of his childhood friends were killed before they even turned 21. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm not going to uh, you know in, insult our listeners' uh, intelligence because they're the best of the best and they've been listening to our pod and reading everything that go along. So there's a good chance most of you. You already knew who Demar Hamlin was um, when the rest of the world didn't, but his story is is remarkable. I mean, we got together at Elmo's in, in Getzville, New York, for Wings uh, after the Bills drafted him in the sixth round, and we can get into his life story as well. But I I really don't know where this is going to go, Jim. It's it's great to see you. You're you're in Arlington, Texas, I believe, doing some XFL stuff. Um, your reaction when you saw uh, Demar Hamlin on a football field? getting CPR for nine minutes. And you know, what was really maybe the most chilling part of that all Jim is, you know, it, well, I mean, I had the binoculars and, and saw the CPR and it was, you didn't even know what to think of it, let alone everybody's reactions, the teammates, you know, in tears needing to, I mean, they would, they would walk toward him and then just walk away. They, they could not be around him. Dane Jackson, you know, childhood friend, college teammate couldn't be anywhere near tomorrow, but maybe the, the worst sight of all is when the body was loaded into the ambulance and it drove the ambulance drove away and nobody knew if DeMar Hamlin was alive. Alive. I mean, I'm thinking of his parents, like they Pittsburgh's uh. four and a half hours away. I'm like, their mom's in the stands, and that relationship is unbelievably special. Dad's in the stands, same thing there. It's uh Mm. All right, yeah, your your reaction to a night that no. we will never ever forget. It's I don't even want to talk about my reaction because it you being at that game and us texting leading up to that, you know, we don't we don't really get to do that. Like you're not usually at a game. I'm usually not, you know, we don't have it's that was first of all was kind of I was like, this is kind of cool. Like we could text during the game because our first text, our football text was Oh shit. I haven't seen a team just game plan and execute a first drive like that against a damn good defense. The Bengals came out prepared and that was the ultimate punch in the mouth. Bills was a nice counter with a field goal. 
to say, okay, we got a good fight. And then everything changed. And Tyler, you're one of the best writers. We know that. I was a journalism major. I'm not a great writer or anything, but our two texts to each other summed up that night during the speechless moment that nobody knew what was going on. You text me, dude. And I text you back, dude. Like we didn't know what to say other than dude. Like it it was, I didn't know. I, I was at a loss for everything. Like I'm sure you were there. Like the whole, the whole stadium was quiet. Apparently, like you said, yeah. I don't know who could have been I, Tyler. It was too much for me to handle. I called my parents. I was like, are you guys watching? Yes. You know, my dad's a football coach. I mean, it was just, nobody can understand or prepare for that. And then Tyler, yeah, the one that, thing I do want to say about just being in the NFL and not to say anything, but knowing being around players enough, we've all been around player NFL players a lot. Their faces, when that ambulance kind of drove off, oh. was kind of basically what it was said it to everybody. Like, this is, this is, everybody was in shock. Nobody knew what to do. It was just, I can't, I don't know. There's nothing worse. I just can't think of anything worse for football. Right. Game. Because, I mean, th- these players, that, that was what was really horrifying too. Is horrifying. These, these, there's nothing these players haven't seen. Nothing. Um, and, and they know the world that they're stepping into. I mean, we, Hey, and I want to get into this too because yeah, I, agree. We, I glorify the violence. I glorify the fact that these are modern day gladiators. I love it. That's why we tune in. This is not for everybody, this sport. And these players know what, what that entails. When they, and I talked to DeMar Hamlin about this at Elmo's. They, these guys know that this is just a different, it's just a different habitat. <laughs> it, it's not for everybody. And they've seen, Every type of injury, they've seen broken bones and torn ligaments and gashes across the forehead and concussions. I mean, I thought the scariest thing I've seen on a football field was Dane Jackson week two. I mean, the way that his head just snapped back, it that was one of those rare moments where I was like, I don't want to see a replay. Um, he was back playing in a couple weeks. I mean, these, these aren't normal human beings, so... For them to be on the field, inconsolable, Mitch Morse holding Tredavious White as, as tears just are, are Niagara Falls down down his face. Uh, Dane Jacks, like I said, not it can't be near this. Um, Saran Neal, you know, facing the other direction, crouched down. Stephon Diggs, tears. I, I, I'm kind of taking this in from the press box and the TV copy. I'm not sure what that broadcast was really like. I'm sure they're going to commercial when they can. They did a good job of not, they did a good job of protecting. They did. I thought for a situation, there's no right answer for. I thought the broadcast did the best they could do. I don't know, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I, you I wish you could really get to the bottom talk? of the Joe Buck thing, right? I mean, he, four times he mentioned the five minute warm up and Troy Vincent refuted it. I, I tend to, to go, what really I happened. tend to believe Troy on that. I do. I, I know Troy Vincent a little bit. I do. I, I like Troy. I, Troy's, Troy wouldn't – that's not – that wasn't a cover-up. I think there was probably some t- – I think everybody didn't know what to do. And I think the Procedurally, official – Procedurally, it probably is true. Like That's what the, I'm saying. The, the rule of law I, and how they – and it's I'm a Monday saying. night game, I, so you got to, like, yes. hit your marks in and out yes. with all these breaks. I'm thinking, were they treating that like, you know, like if there was, you know, an ambulance needed for a 
normal football injury and they come off the field, you know, and it was that long of a delay. Maybe that is the, I don't even know. Maybe the protocol is a five minute quick warm up, and then we get started. That might be the, the procedure and they didn't know what to do. And they, nobody was telling them what to do. I don't want to blame anybody for anything right now. That was just a. I agree, that, Jim. Yeah. And you know there, me, I, I want to, you know, there's, I, I, I love wondering if you were about to, I was going to tell you, I can't, I don't have that in me right now. Like I don't even have, and they, and I, they deserve, I want to get big picture with the NFL too. I mean, there's, there's yeah. definitely things we can discuss down those lines, but in the moment there's no playbook for this. No. They did the right thing. Hey, look, you've got to give Sean McDermott credit. You've got to give Zach Taylor credit. Everybody. You've got to give them. The credit. They're the ones at, on, on the field. They, they see the look in their players' eyes. They, they know there and they, there's no playbook for this. How, how do you handle this? And I mean, my God, the stuff that the Bills and McDermott have had to deal with this season, unbelievable. I I can't think of a year, especially here in Buffalo, maybe even beyond a team that's gone through as much as they've gone through with the snowstorms. We were talking about it on our last show, but the NFL did kind of see the decision. It seemed to the players, to the coaches, like they're the they're the boots on the ground. They 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 see that this game cannot be played. And that decision was, wait, I, and I, and I do think that, that it, everything was kind of an extension of DeMar Hamlin's health, right? Like if he's in this ambulance going to the hospital and like comes to, or whatever, like, mm-hmm. I mean, miraculously, whatever, I right, yeah. play the game, even cause he, I think even today, as we were recording this Wednesday afternoon, uh, I feel like the mood and the temperament and the Buffalo Bills' ability to take a football field again is directly t- tied to DeMar Hamlin's health. So if the, if the good news is it's coming out of there, they're going to feel a little bit better each hour. Um, if we're to believe the reports, right? I think Josh Reed at Channel 4 here, a buddy of mine, he, he talked to DeMar Hamlin's uncle. And DeMar, after being 100% on oxygen at that conversation, I think it was yesterday at this point, it was down to 50%. That's a great sign. No doctor, but I think the concern would be, okay, when he's unable to breathe, what else is happening in the body, right? Does oxygen get into the brain? I lost one of my childhood friends in an unrelated tragic incident. Oxygen wasn't able to get to the brain. That's such a critical, critical moment. And those first responders, I mean, my God, to get out there and it was so executed, bang, 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 bang. It was like they, they drill for that stuff and you've got millions of people watching. You're saving a dude's life on live TV in front of a national audience. And to and to pull that off, um, they saved Damar Hamlin's life. They resuscitated him once. You just it's read unreal. My you you so you just summed up what I was gonna say, because you had said earlier about there's no playbook for this, all this stuff, and you're right. And I was gonna say to you, there is one playbook. One playbook. And they had it. And they I know, I don't know those doctors like I used to. Dr. Thomas White, um, I know he's still on that staff. Um, he's an incredible man and doctor, but I don't, what they did, what to your point on the big, on that state, I can't even like mind blowing what they, how they execute to, to save him and get him to that ambulance and get him to the hospital. I just thought was, I, you can't, I mean, you really just, it's what they do. It goes to show you that's why they're in their profession. That's, yeah. That's my homestone for 450 and five touchdowns. That's what the Bills medical staff just did. Like, that's the best yeah. playing at their highest level. Like, that's the best of the best in the business playing at a high level on a big stage. And the Bills medical staff did it. So, 
And it's, um, I mean, I've got chills even thinking about it. It's probably, I mean, it's, it's hard for us to wrap our, our minds around what it's like to be in that moment, but, but you're, you're taking off shoulder pads. You're, you're mm-hmm. taking off his face mask. I mean, I imagine mm-hmm. even removing Mm-mm. his pads. I mean, you, you moved the wrong direction one way or another. I'm Tyler, I'm telling you. Who knows? I, I mean, everything is so delicate and unknown and every there's... second, every second literally matters. His life's on the line with every second. It just goes to show you that I, I don't even know how much they train, but it must be for them to have executed that so well. I, I, I don't understand how they were that like in sync. Like it, that was like, I mean, I don't know. It, yeah, that was the, that was the stuff that you make you, if I was an NFL player moving forward, any football player, that I hope I hope they really start to appreciate their medical staff, their training staff. That goes to show you why they're around all the time. And when you are when you want to put up when players want to put up a you know I don't feel like going in for treatment today, uh, or they show up late for treatment. Those people in there care about the players. Like they're in, like they they really genuinely care about the players. They're in it for them. So anyway. the ambulance heads heads out. Um, yep. goes to to UC medical and we're all in this weird state of what now like wh- how do we process this what's happening the NFL does the right thing taking their cue from the coaches and the players um I tell you what Jim it was a it was a strange strange place to be I mean no, there were a lot of reporters we were all kind of in the press box um you know, a lot of, a lot of reporters kind of like, you know, cranking out some quick stories and, and putting it on their sites and letting, tweeting this, tweeting that. And I, I mean, I, obviously I just, I don't have to do that. You know, we do the long form stuff here and want to take a little time to think about it. I just remember sitting there frozen, like what, what now, what's happening and praying for an update, praying for good news. Like everybody was at that moment, made our way down to the, like the bowels of the stadium, just, you know, maybe there's players down there. Maybe there's coaches who, who knows. And remember Josh Allen walking by and he kind of had that same days lost pale look on his face right. at that point. And eventually they kind of let everybody go out onto the field. If you wanted to, this might've been 1130 midnight. And I just remember walking around that field, just, just kind of taking it in. And it was the strangest feeling ever, Jim. I mean, to be there and, you got 65,000 screaming fans. This is the game of the year. I mean, we were building this baby up at go long, making it a three day extravaganza. Like Saturday, I, I, I sat down with DJ reader, this, uh, just unbelievably magnetic nose tackle for the Bengals. Oh, yeah, Great life story. And it's a little eerie looking back at some of the things he said on how he treats the field and how he wants to lay it all on the line in no uncertain terms. Um, and then the next day we had the live podcast with Paul Denner Jr., Jay Morrison at 50 West Brewing. Might have been like 150, 200 people there. It was unbelievable. Places packed, drinking beer, talking football for an hour and a half. Um, some loyal subscribers there. Jason Brown, Cincy, uh, Cincy resident, reads everything, listens to every pod. It was great catching up with him. And. I just remember going into the stadium, just being excited to cover this game. Like everybody, I mean, it was, there were fireworks going off. It had, it had AFC championship feel to it. 
Like it, it did. did. I it, and I, this isn't exaggeration. I mean, there. It was probably one of the loudest, most energetic atmospheres for a regular season game I've ever been at, if not the most. And I was talking to Eric Wood. Um, he, he was kind of saying the same thing. He's like, that energy was palpable. Bills fans there, Bengals fans, everybody, just two organic fan bases, right? Like, not the contrived BS you get in LA or even well, other big goes, cities where down in Tampa and Miami, they got some really good fans down there. But if the football honestly. team's not playing that well, you go to the beach. Or you root for right. the heat. <laughs> like, right. There's other things to do. Um, but, I mean, you can feel it. It's palpable in Buffalo. It's palpable in Cincinnati. The, the, the mood of an entire region is tied to the football team. It's just different, man. It's just different. So it just felt like this is what the football gods want, is this game in this moment. And then it was just like a power switch, you know, with uh, with DeMar Hamlin collapsing and needing CPR. I mean, everything is just sucked out of there. So to walk around, Jim, it was it was surreal. Um, trying to remember what I saw. I mean, there was like a ice just dumped in a pile on behind one of the benches. You know, the heated seats were still turned on. The green light was on them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like it was the middle of the game, and it, it was a, there was it just it looked and felt eerie, creepy, strange, inconsequential, meaningless. Mm-hmm. Right, like this is. Football felt so, so unbelievably small. The sport itself, a game. Um, it, at that point, DeMar Hamlin feel, is. Yeah, I don't, we don't know. That's Those words you just used were so good. All those were the emotions. It felt like it was just, what are we even watching anymore? Why do we watch football? You had said something earlier about how, you know, the Bills really wouldn't be able to do, probably won't be able to do anything until they know something. Right. And then that's, you know, that's understandable. But to talk about how these guys are so wired differently than everybody else, professional football players, just gladiator type mentality, whether it's UFC fighters, football, hockey players, the violent, I'm talking about the the extreme violent sports that you're doing for your living. These guys are going to play on Sunday. Now the bills might not. Okay, we don't know. But the rest of the league is going to play. Like, these guys are not going to be – they're going to get out there. They love the game. They're going to be hitting. I was thinking about this. What It's going to be hard. I don't know if I want to watch it this Sunday. I'm not ready to watch football right now. I'll be honest with you. That that shook me to a point where I just need, like, a little – like a little time out. I mean, how many times do we see big hits and, and guys run angry runs on, you know, NFL network that we love that. We love collisions in football. I, it's like, can I look, I don't, I don't feel like cheering for a collision right now. Like I don't have it in me. I'm gonna watch some college basketball. I, I can't wait. I'll watch some NBA right now. I can't, I just need a little, like, I don't know. It, it, Am I way off? Am I, I'm in, am I being like dramatic on that? No, not dramatic at all. I love that about football. And, and I, don't you, I mean, are you ready to see like the, and, yeah, are you ready for like a violent? Well, like, no, I mean, I, we talked about it a little bit. We don't have to get into too many specifics, but you know, the thought that crossed my mind, Jim, is Serafino, who's just woke up from a nap over my shoulder in his room. And, you know, there was a point this past summer, you know, we just wanted to get the kids out of the house and we went down to the park 
um, right down the street on Boston State Road. Uh, for those who aren't from here, there's Boston, New York. It's just like what, 20, 25 minutes from the city. And the Boston Patriots is the, uh, like the Pop Warner team. And so we just took Ella and Sonny and we're walking around the park and went down to the football field and we're watching the kids play. I think Ella, Ella wanted to get right down there. She's like, why can't I play? I want to play. She can play. She and, you know, some, and Sonny is, uh, you know, Sonny's one and a half now. Um, and you know, it's come up in conversation before, like with my own dad and with Gina, with my brother, like, uh, you know, your kids playing football. I mean, I, we both grew up. I mean, I started playing tackle football in third grade. Um, and I have been such a, a defender of this game. And I, I do still believe this, Jim. I think that football absolutely teaches life lessons that you cannot get to this extreme and this extent. Um, you know, the other sports just can't give you like football. I don't know. Like there's just an accountability, teamwork, leadership, performing under pressure, you know, even little things. I can still remember, you know, even in high school, here we go, going off on the Uncle Rico tangents again. Nobody, like nobody cares. But well, that's for my, that's <laughs> there only was a, for my quarter. That's only for my quarterback ratings. That's only, only when we're breaking down the quarterbacks, right? No when it's a little more relatable. <laughs> but, um, you know, at Ellicottville, so I, I was a quarterback on the JV team, ninth, tenth grade year. Became the starter in eleventh grade. You know, class D, but we we had a really good, you know, class D team. We finished third, third in the state sectional championship. But uh, my first game, um, our we ran the ball all the time. And then what we would do is when the safeties came up, I would throw deep to Kyle Mendel. He had speed to burn. So it was, you know, I and mean, we did it, we did it every game. I don't know why teams didn't catch on to it, but. Um, before we even played our first game in the scrimmage, I was lighting it up. I threw out just a ton of touchdowns in the scrimmage. So I was like, okay, this is going to work. The first game, I just remember the call came in and I just got nervous. I like, I, I held on to the ball. The guy was wide open by Mikhail was wide open by like 10 yards. I, I got sacked and my coach screamed in my face. And it was like, well, like that was a life lesson that moment. Don't be afraid. Don't be right, afraid. Right, right. Work off the play action. Know you're going to get hit. You might not Stick even get hit. Stand right. there, make the throw, deliver. And it was just like performing under pressure, under the light. Like it's very small, microscopic, but there's so many of those moments that you get in football. I mean, and there's like Chris Borland. I mean, here's a, a linebacker who quit football after a year because of concussion concerns. You know, that was the number one story in America for, for that week. And it still resonates today. I'll never forget talking to him for a story at Bleach Report. And he's like, look, there is something different about football that's addictive, like you just, you love the contact, you miss it. It's a brotherhood. And it's the fact that you could be playing linebacker. And if I screw up my job, my buddy to the left of me or to the right of me, they might get destroyed. And that just creates a special type of bond in football. All that being said, right. And knowing what it did for me. And I don't think that I'm the person I am today without football. I, I don't, it was so central to, to our lives. And my dad coached me, you know, from, from third grade all the way. Through modified up to JV when I started there at Ellicottville. Um, whew, I had a moment. I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know. Like, Sonny, <laughs> playing tackle football at any point after looking at that, seeing it, living it, watching it up close. It's it was that horrifying. It was. It's really the first moment I kind of. It kind of gave me pause. Um, I think obviously fair. you want your kids to follow their passion. I mean, and and I, I absolutely want him to to do what he wants to do. 100%, but it was that first moment of that forced me to look at football in a completely different way.
Agreed. I agreed in all that, all those thoughts. I've, you know, my dad forever college football coach. I wasn't allowed to play tackle football until eighth grade. Really? Wasn't allowed flag football only. And your dad was a college football coach too. And loves football through and through loves football. Was it hard for you as a kid yeah. to not play? Yeah, I felt I felt like it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, I did actually had fun playing flag football, and I was so into basketball. You know, we were all into. You were into so much as a kid, so I was just into every sport. Um, but I wanted to play. I mean, I was excited in eighth grade to put the pads on. But because you know, we didn't know as much then as as we do now. I mean, I remember putting those pads on and a helmet on. I mean. You, my God, we didn't gonna, have a trainer at Ellicott, but we didn't have a high school trainer. If somebody you know, that's, no, said they had a concussion, you laughed at them. You laughed exactly. at them. And how you didn't know learn how to properly really play football in, at that age? You're, you can't. Oh, like, at that age, yeah. Yep. Even at that young age, you're still not going to be able to play the game correctly. I mean, it's snap the, snap the ball the fastest guy. He runs by everybody. Like, And it's just a free-for-all. You're not learning plays. You're not learning how to block, tackle. Like In flag football, you develop a lot of – like you learn how to play – in space. Mm-hmm. That's what I always thought with, with, you know, um, youth football is so it's just cluttered because it's hard. I mean, you have just so many people in there. Don't know what they're doing. People are just falling all over the place. Flag yeah. football is space and you're using route running. You're learning. You can do, you can l- learn some things. It, but I don't want to take away. I agree. With, there's so much good with football. I mean, it's, it's been my whole life. I grew up with it. I have career. I mean, we both were able to chase our passions professionally because of football. So I can't sit there and yeah. I'm not going to sit there and say, do I have huge concerns for my son moving forward? Just like you do. I do. I do. I, I can't say I'm going to be um, going to be pushing football on him. I think I'm like you. If he loves it. Hey, I can't tell. I can't take passion away from you, but. You know, I think that we're uh, everybody can agree is that we deserve the, the American public deserves honesty from the NFL when it comes to its own product, right? Like just own this violence. Don't don't, just don't own pretend it. like it's safe. The, the players own it. That's why they're going to play on Sunday. They that shows you that they own the violence. They just watched a coworker, a friend, a, a teammate, everything you want to say about Hamlin, who he is to those players. That's them, and it is not going to stop them from playing football. Yeah. So they know what they're signing up for. They, I, that's what football is. You bet if this is everything you sign up for, Just, go ahead. So own it's it incredible. even at the grassroots level. I know it's not their responsibility. You know, football is bigger than the NFL, but I think everybody kind of takes the NFL's lead, right? They're these, right. you know, heads up football infomercials, all these statistics that are shoved in our faces <laughs> about how safe the game is. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we should tell moms and dads what a subconcussive or concussive hit can do to you if you try playing tackle football in third, fourth, or fifth grade with a developing brain, right? Like let's let's be transparent about you know, yes, this is football. It's a beautiful game. It's a violent game. Okay. Here are the realities of this violent game. And let's lay it out for everybody. Lay it out. So you can make an educated decision. And they kind of I feel like they're still like tiptoeing around a little. It's not as bad as it was in the nineties. You know, if you read League of Denial, 
I mean, they'd straight up just hide and lie about concussions. But I mean, oh. I think there should just be more ownership about the overall physicality of the game instead of painting it as like some hip fun. You know, like football can be fun, but it's not a, you're not going out to play hopscotch as a 10 year old. Like you're running into each other and injuries are going to happen. So yeah. Um, hopefully I'm not speaking out of line on this, Jim. I'll just say this. Doug Whaley was right. Doug was right on a certain radio show when he it was said a correct. certain thing. They might have got the NFL Doug upset. And I to, that statement, that that conversation that Doug had in public, Doug and I had had in private years and years. I mean, is what it's not trying to knock it. It's just that's to your point. Own it, and this is what it is. Right. If you the have human to wear body it, was not made to play football. It's which is truth and okay to say. You know, it's. Tyler, All right, so let's. Just, if you want, if it's if you want to take this on, do it. If not, and that, so that's what I'll say. All these to bring it back to the Bills. All NFL teams, they they know, right? Like they, I think knowledge is at a point where they kind of know. But the reason we saw those tears is it crossed the threshold with Demar Hamlin. It just entered a completely different dimension. Nobody expects that. Nobody expects CPR. Nobody expects a player to be fighting for his life, need to be resuscitated on a football field. Um, and that's why we're sitting here talking about our sons and how we view the sport in a, in a completely different way. Why don't we talk about DeMar Hamlin a little bit, Jim? Um, do you, So obviously we were still kind of podding and stuff. He's, he's youngish. Do you, do you remember watching him? I did pay Pitt? attention you know, to him. Start with you here. So I didn't know much about him, you know, and then when you actually did the story, I, 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 so I like watching those guys. I didn't do him coming out of pit. Um, so yeah, I see, see he's a six round pick. He's making it. He's making plays. I love guys like that. So then when you watch him play, you see, he just looks, I can picture everything about him as a player, as a safety. You just love scouting guys like him where he's around, you know, he's around the action. You know, you could, he plays hard. He's around the action. He's got length. You know, he runs well. I mean, he's just a, he's just a really good foot. He's a good football player finding his way on this. You know, he's, he's on the path, you know, to really, because here's what, here's what people don't understand about a six round pick. So we're sitting here, you know, talking about, we just want him to be alive right now. But do we, do you understand like he hasn't, I hate to say this, but he hasn't financially made it, you know, made it in the NFL where he was getting, he was on the path to financially set his family up forever. And it just adds to the, the gut-wrenching part of this story, you know, because it's hard to picture him ever playing football again. Who knows? But, like, the, the, it's what he worked. Is he, was, he worked so hard in his life, and you know what he would do with that money when he was going to get that next contract. That was his, he would take care of his loyal family whoever he can whoever is in that tight circle they were about to all he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna overspend he wasn't gonna i I just everything from that story was he would have done things the right way with his his money for his family so it's just great job by you (laughs) you seriously though how many i kept texting you during the game because i just i couldn't believe you were there and it just was like i i just was like i can't and you did the story on hamlin and i'm just thinking 
you you got to know him a little bit. And I just, if I had that experience with him, I was a mess and didn't do what you did with him. So I kept thinking how bad you might, or just how crazy you must have felt, like for lack of a better word. Yeah, you know, I mean, real quick, it was like, it was, it, it's tough to like, you know, because you don't know what people are going to think or how they'll interpret things. So, I, you know, the next morning, it's, you know, it's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. it's the number one story in America. And I just had the thought of like, man, I, I really want people to know who Damar Hamlin is as a person. Yeah. Like we see number three out there and nobody really knows much yeah. at all about Damar mm-hmm. Hamlin at all. So I, yeah, I just, I, I shared, I think one of his quotes was really kind of resonating in my head about ending every conversation with, I love you because you, you really don't know what tomorrow has in store. I mean, when you've had so many people around you die, like he has, and that they just really, it still gives me chills. So I think I like shared that. I'm like, you know what people, people want to know who this, who this person is. Um, so shared it. And I, obviously his story just resonates because I think that this is a sign of all, all of the good that football can be. It's such a platform. I mean, it, it really is. And, you know, that scene on the field of, of seeing all of these Bills players surrounding Tamar Hamlin, who they love like a brother. I mean, I, I look down at you know, Tyrell Dodson. I mean, he came on our podcast, right? He talked oh, about his yes. rough upbringing in, in Tennessee, I believe. Isaiah McKenzie, you know, we got the Isaiah show, but here's somebody in South Florida who saw a dead body on his doorstep, who had a bullet literally graze him. I mean, an inch or two, like more to one side. And we don't know who Isaiah McKenzie is. Um, Devin Singletary, he's he's gone through all, all sorts of trauma with people close to him. He was down there on that field. Taiwan Jones, you know, we just had that story in Taiwan Jones where he's talking about shootouts, like like it's getting a cup of coffee. Like it's just, it was so normalized in his upbringing in the Bay Area. Like so many of these guys just come from neighborhoods that you and I can't comprehend. And they grow up and they're they're seeing a lot of their friends, you know, succumb to gang violence or maybe they're not even part of a gang or selling drugs or anything. They're just in the wrong place at the wrong time and catch a bullet and they're dead. And as Damar said in our conversation, like you don't really get answers, right? You don't even get closure. You very rarely do. It just, people just kind of move on. Um, They are all such an inspiration to an entire neighborhood, an entire community of, of people in all these different pockets, these dark pockets of America. And I, Football gave it was such an opportunity. Demar Hamlin knew it. He his life purpose was clear and concise to be an agent of change for McKees Rocks, the borough just outside of Pittsburgh. And he wanted kids there, you know, his little brothers there. The reason he chose Pitt was he wanted to be close to his little brother. I mean, he could have gone to Clemson, Notre Dame, Penn State, Ohio State at 48 uh D1 offers. Chose Pitt because it's just right down the street. And he knew that there'd be kids in McKees Rocks that look that look up to him and want to be like him and think, okay, you know what? If I stay dedicated to football or, or whatever, you know, whatever the interest is, I can get out of here and I, I, I can do something good in the world. I don't need to chase fast money. And so, yeah, we can get into it. I mean, how it all started, though, with that, with meeting up with Tamar Hamlin, you know, I laugh because it's like he gets drafted by the Bills, Jim, and... I believe he just tweeted like, all right, what are the top five wing places in Buffalo? And the good people of Western New York, let them know. You got to get to Barbell or you got to get to Elmos. 
And uh, we did almost almost as a personal favorite. I will say this: nine eleven tavern, man, it's bringing the heat. If you I want just all... straight up hot chicken wings? Nine eleven tavern hits it. It's you're right. It's hard to argue. I can't argue these because I love them all yeah. too. So I'm not going to sit there and debate. So I, I reached out to uh, Demar and was like, "Hey, look, don't know much about you. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do, uh, but I know you want to get some chicken wings. So let's get some wings and talk." And I think this says so much about Demar Hamlin too, right? Like it's here. I'm just a bald beard, mid, middle-aged man, you know, that grew up in the freaking sticks. I cannot relate to that world in McKees Rocks. I cannot, right? I, in the summer, you know, I'm, I'm going four wheeling with my brother, fishing with my grandpa, grabbing a burger at Eddie's in Great Valley, New York. That's his summer. He said, when it gets a little hotter, that's when people start to move around. And that's when, you know, the bullets are going to start flying and you have to keep your head on a swivel. So Demar Hamlin, for him just to be willing to, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's hang out. Where do you want to go? Oh, Elmo's isn't where Elmo's is. Just goes to Getzville, Northtown. And, you know, we're, there's a youth sports team celebrating a win over one part. And there's hockey jerseys on the wall. And Adam, you know, the, the manager of Elmo's, who sadly has passed away as well. Just an unbelievable human being. God, I loved Adam. I, that still doesn't seem real. No, no, tragic. He, I gave him a heads up that we were coming and he's like, Oh, I got you. And he, he just, he went back and we we're just like, you know, we want to put the full Elmo's experience and I don't want to misspeak. So I'm going to pull up the story here before I forget to say exactly what he brought like up. The, like the actual menu. Like, I mean, as far as what he brought out, 10 barbecue miles, 10 Cajun honey mustards, 10 Cajun miles, 10 regular miles and why the hell not a side of Cajun fries? So, you know, DeMar grabs a wing, starts gnawing on it, and just opened up. He, I mean, he detailed all of the friends that he lost. And from, like, middle school through high school into college, I, I never heard of the rapper Jimmy Wapo. I guess he was really popular in the area and beyond. I mean, that was another big name from that area. And Demar's thinking like, we can both be an inspiration for kids. You're in music. I'm in sports. Let's do this together. He dies. And he's painting these scenes of being in, in these hospitals, you know, in the waiting room and seeing, seeing the tears, seeing the sadness. And he's, he's lived what everybody around him is living right now. Just surreal. And to backtrack, you know, he's, he's 12 years old in a courtroom and his dad is um, taken away to prison for, 10 years for an intent to sell drugs. He does three and a half of those years, but three and a half of the probably most impressionable years of anyone's life. I mean, Damar 12 to 15, it's just him and his mom. And he's working at her cleaning business till midnight to help make ends meet. He's their, their house doesn't have heat at times. Um, sometimes he doesn't have lunch, goes to lunch and he asks his buddy for a couple bites of his sandwich. It's that's where Damar Hamlin comes from, right? Like that, that's, that's the human being. And I think that if we take anything from this all, I just wrote a, a column on this at the site. So I don't really even know like what take analysis, what you have when it comes to the sport of football yet. You know, we've shared a bunch of thoughts here, but if we can somehow take anything from this, it's, you know, football is a platform for these human beings. And let's remember these are human beings and that DeMar Hamlin is basically everything that the NFL could possibly want out of an ambassador. Like he's out there. Yeah, he's entertaining millions of people. But think about the 
10 or 15 kids on his street that might be watching Monday night football, right? Maybe there's another kid out there who has school the next day and he doesn't have lunch packed. Maybe there's a kid who's 12 years old and has a dad in prison is working at his mom's, you know, third job just to try to pay the bills. Maybe that kid turns on the TV, sees DeMar Hamlin and thinks, wow, okay, there is another life out there. There's hope. Um, that is, that's where you can get the, the, the beauty of pro football. And that's where it can still be unbelievably powerful and a, and a, and a force of good. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's, I, I don't even know what we were talking about. <laughs> it's just the chills yeah, um, no, that, you, that, that, that you get. It, it's, it's real because I, I could just picture in my head, the, the world that DeMar Hamlin envisioned for himself, right? Like he wanted to be exactly what we're seeing right now. I don't even know what the GoFundMe's at. The last I checked, it was like six That's, and a half million. Man, that is, it's like. This is yeah, what he dreamt of. This made, is what he wants. Up, he's saving lives, much, changing lives. I hate to say this. Look how much he's made in his career compared to the GoFundMe thing. The GoFundMe is going to be more than he's made. Yeah. It's, I don't know how I feel. To be honest, I don't know how I feel about that. But the uh, – what was I going to say? Oh, but no, Tyler, this when, – when does – how's it going to feel good again? Like I, we need, we just need, we need good news on this badly. Like we do. We need, it's, we need the good news. I think news. we're even able to talk about it because we've gotten a little bit of good news. At least I hope that is this. good. I hope, I hope, I hope. Yeah. It's, I mean, I just from, from experience, you know, my grandfather went through a very serious um, health issue earlier this season that scared us all. 94 yeah. years old. Um, but it was, it was, it was similar in that you know, being on the oxygen and seeing that number go down. And that, that's really when we, we started to get excited and, and started turning a corner. Now that I, I don't want to pretend to be a doctor. There's been actual doctors weighing in on this all, but I think the concern would be, okay. In that period of time when he couldn't breathe, what else was affected? Like oxygen to the brain and functionality, this organ, that organ. Um, but the fact that his, a family friend and an uncle they're they're out there giving interviews and supplying reasons for optimism t- tells me that it's at least trending in the right direction yeah i don't know either i mean um, I'm, I'm like you sound uh, any kind of positive we got to run with it right now and i will say this too it's right right when you think there's no hope for humanity and you know social media is such a cesspool and yeah, you get the the ridiculous Skip Bayless tweet, whatever. I know that gets amplified, uh, but you know, by and large, the people have been so unified in prayer for Demar Hamlin. I've never seen anything like this. Have you? I mean, there this is unprecedented. Everybody's pulling, pulling, pulling hard for him. It's, it's just awesome. However you want, however you believe, and whatever you believe, everybody's pulling for this guy and Hamlin, and it should be that way, and his family too. And his family, because they're such a part of this as well, because they were there. I mean, like, that's a quick trip, you know, from where they live. They don't get a lot of opportunities to make those road games like that. And and it's an easy drive. Need good news. 
If, if, yeah. So I think it, if we can all just remember that they're human beings, whatever that oh. entails, right? So if that's the NFL, you know, eliminate that 17th game. You don't need the 17th game. Don't sell us on player safety if you're adding that. Get rid of the freaking preseason. I'm with you on that, Jim. Get rid of it. Create <laughs> controlled environments and training yes. camp that yeah, condition you your some, body for the contact. You could do some really positive, like, you could set up positive, like, joint practices. Instead of those practices always turn into the first time they get to go live against another team. They always turn into fights, and then they have to cancel everything. Why don't you use that instead of a preseason game? Why don't you use those? Why don't you get together and have a productive joint practice? Real competitive, productive. There's a lot. Create the one-on-one battles you need to see. Simulate it. These coaches are friends. They can get together. They can arrange this all. But but you're right. It's the 17th game in the preseason is money. Well, completely. I mean, they're swindling season ticket holders to pay full price to see third stringers bash each other's heads. Like, think about the needless injuries – that you'd be saving by eliminating these needless games. I mean, oh, you took it from four to three. Okay. Well, guess what? Now you're going to change lives by saving them from themselves. Just, you know, make a little bit more money on these insane gambling apps that you're getting people addicted to. And, and you're ruining ruining other lives that way. Maybe make a little money down that road, NFL. God. Oh, no, Thursday night football. Yeah. Oh, you just had this uh, virtual car crash on Sunday? Guess what? You got three days to lick your wounds and get your ass back out there on Thursday. I did, right, right when I say we can't have takes and opinions out of this, here I go. But what I'm saying is when we can just view these players as human beings through that lens, own the violence, right? It's a violent game. Okay. You're, until you eliminate blocking and, talent and, and tackling, you're going to be at risk for anything. All right? It's... I mean, if you want to make it flag football, then just do it. Then just do it. Go ahead and do it. But if you're not going to do that, own the violence and then treat these players as human beings in every other possible way. Right. That it is that something the NFL can do? Those seem like three, four straightforward, mm-hmm. not, not um, knee jerk kind of solutions. No sensible but, solutions. But we've talked about it. You and I have always been pro player, and we've talked about this on previous pods. So it didn't take this, you know, tragic incident to get us to feel that way. You know, we were talking right. about this. Every right. It shouldn't. It shouldn't take. So it shouldn't take a player nearly near nearly dying on a football field. And that's it. the point. I hate to say it because it's possibility. Why are we adding more if it's not necessary? Why would we add more games? For something like that, I, it's it's hard. It's a hard one, and I don't know if it'll ever change. And then you know we we look in in the mirror ourselves, Man, and if whether it's you know somebody throwing twenty dollars to a, a foundation, I mean that's that that's a way. It's just living like Demar Hamlin said to live, right? I mean this is this these are his words. The way I grew up teaches you to cherish everybody in your life because you never know who you'll lose. You could lose anybody. Everybody I talk to, I say, I love you. And that's neighborhood tradition. Simple thing like that can go a pretty long way in how we live like our own lives. Um, we'll see, Jim. I mean, I I don't know what is possibly going through these players' minds, um, number one, and where all of our thoughts, all of our prayers, all of our efforts should be. It's, it's Damar Hamlin at the hospital 
getting, you know, fantastic care. Jason, actually, who I mentioned earlier that I, I met at the, uh, the 50 West Brewing podcast event. Um, he texted me when this was all going on. He said he, that that hospital is top notch. He, he knows, and he's a, a chemist himself. He said that place, he's going to get the best possible care. So that's, that's good. You can't say that about every hospital. You can't. Um, and hopefully we just keep getting that, that, that good news. And ho- hopefully people have had a chance to read the story at, at golongtd.com on Damar Hamlin. I'll, I'll just say it again. This is a exceptional human being. I don't use that lightly. It's, it's hard in, in this profession to really say a player's a good guy because you never really know. Honestly, you don't really know with anybody. Well, you don't have the time. But you think you have a pretty damn good idea, right? That's what I was just going to say. I think I'm a judge of character and the human condition. Yeah. And my opinion, this is everything that you would want out of a son, a brother, a friend, a player for the NFL to prop up as an example. Yeah. And he's got the whole country watching him right now, Jim. I I think um, Tyrell Dotson actually tweeted this uh, earlier today. And he said, I, I almost can't wait for tomorrow to open his eyes and see, see this love and support. Like imagine that moment when he learns what this week has been like. So yeah, I don't know. I'm a really big believer in the power of positivity. And I like it, Tyler. Time. I'm with you on this one. I, I that, that got me, man, that would be, it would just be the, it's fitting. And it's the only outcome I can think about right now is thinking about him knowing what you just said how many people care about him and man, and then let's help, let's help him, the, whatever he needs forever, <laughs> whatever you need. Man, we, I can't thank everybody out there enough for reading, uh, for listening. This is a, a really special uh, community that we've been trying to build at go long and it, it really does mean the world. So thanks so much for sharing the story, sharing the podcast um, again, fatty beer company, is what fuels the podcast and we will catch you. I guess we'll figure it out, Jim, because I don't know when it's okay to talk about football again. Um, I'll get, I'm going to get to that DJ reader profile at some point. It's, it just seems very strange to even wrap my head around the, the sport itself. And I think we'll, we'll know when the time is right um, to actually talk about football, but until then everybody pray and uh, make sure your loved ones know you love them.